Okay, class. Today we're gonna start with the basics. Hello and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. I'm Pastor Eric, and I want to thank you guys for joining us for part three of What is the Gospel? Today I am joined again by Mr. Paul Wells and Mr. Daniel Hintz. And because of the nature of this podcast, with Paul and Daniel being from different parts of the country, we did have to record this on Skype, so the audio quality is a little bit lower than we would normally uh, expect and have, so thank you guys for being patient with us. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you guys to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, and why don't you go ahead and subscribe for me? That helps boost our numbers and also boost the algorithm so that we can be seen by more people. Also, if you could, go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and leave a review for us. Most of the podcast aggregators use iTunes or Apple Podcasts uh, rating system to uh, push certain podcasts. So the more ratings we have, the better. So uh, thank you guys again for listening. I hope you guys have a great week and let's get into it. Right now, we are continuing our series on what is the gospel. Uh, so I'm here with our guests, um, Daniel Hintz and Paul Wells, uh, two guys that I, I really respect um, and enjoy talking to and spending time with. So uh, thank you guys for for jumping in and doing this with us here. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna keep going on. The last couple of weeks, we've introduced simply good news by N.T. Wright, and we begin to talk about what he does and some of his work. Um, so we're going to continue on using the themes of the chapters to kind of guide our conversation. Uh, so this week, the, the conversation is surprised by King Jesus, um, and we're going to overview that and then have a little bit of a discussion about it. So Dan, uh, why don't you go ahead and give us an overview of the chapter, uh, what was his main points? How was it structured? Uh, maybe some other interesting things you thought about the chapter. For sure. So like Eric said, uh, this was chapter three, Surpri- Surprised by King Jesus. I really liked this chapter because it started getting into some more specifics. Like the first two chapters have kind of just been stating the theme for the whole book. And this was starting to get a little bit more into the actual details of his points. Um, but kind of the the basic overall theme of it was that Jesus and his life and then death and resurrection were a surprising, surprising way of the kingdom of God being revealed. Uh, basically, he, he talked about that Jesus ministry is not just about advice and, you know, telling people kind of how to live their lives. But it was about the idea that he's actually spreading news and that, that difference means that he is either right or wrong about the news he is spreading. Um, And it kind of removes that possibility of dismissing him as, oh, yeah, he was just a good teacher. Like he was either correct in the news he was proclaiming or he was incorrect. A lot of the cultural kind of details he he dove into in the chapter that N.T. Wright dove into um, was about the exodus and the idea that that was kind of the Jewish people's main kind of cultural identity was this idea of the exodus that had happened to them several thousand um, 
several hundred, um, several thousand years before. And it was something they were waiting for um, to happen again. Um, and that they were kind of waiting for that as either kind of a, a new political manifestation that just like Moses, there was going to be a kind of a revolution and there was going to be a literal change of leadership or it was going to be kind of a miraculous divine intervention without human participation at all. Mm. And so that created kind of two ways of people viewing um, what that was going to look like. Either we need to rise up, we need to overthrow the Romans, or we should just kind of go off in the desert and hide and wait for God to deal with everything going on. Um, and N.T. Wright makes the case very strongly that um, Jesus saw it as his vocation to actually accomplish that bringing of the kingdom, that it wasn't just a passive thing that other people were doing. Jesus saw himself as someone who was bringing that about, um, who was participating in that and, again, making it a, a newsworthy thing instead of just something to be talked about. But that, that, that led to a lot of people being uncertain about if Jesus really was the Messiah, um, that even John the Baptist, he makes the point, was not totally sure that this was the guy because it was totally mm -hmm. different than, than what had been anticipated. But then his main point for the chapter is Jesus' life only makes sense because of his death and resurrection. And that if you don't have the resurrection, um, I like that he points it out, like, if Jesus doesn't rise from the dead, all he was was a bad teacher who taught you how to get killed by your political enemies. Like, <laughs> there is no good advice there because you just die in a horrible way if you follow mm -hmm. his advice. But if there is a resurrection, um, which is, you know, a historically established fact, and he talks about that a little bit, then it's news because all of a sudden it is about the the old way that the world worked and its power structures being defeated with finality once and for all in a new era starting that the kingdom yeah. of god is actually here it is a real thing that that is changing you know he talks about life has come back to life mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. uh, he talks about death is still and uh, death and sin are still um in their death throes and that there, we still yeah. feel that tension of that, but they are yeah. defeated, and that we are now right. in, living in that new um, that new world. So, you know, Jesus' resurrection is really what it all comes down to, and that's kind of how he ends the chapter by saying, "That's why it matters. That's the news, yeah. and that's why that news is important." Yeah, because the resurrection is what established the life of Jesus as authoritative, right? That that if it wasn't for the resurrection, as you said, you know, it Jesus would have just been a sandal wearing hippie out in the desert teaching people. Uh, but because of the resurrection, what his, what he taught and how he lived his life now has, has authority for us. Yeah. So I think that one of the things that I was surprised by, uh, no pun intended was how he condensed the good news, the gospel. And this is, this is how he defined the gospel in this chapter. The one true God has now taken charge of the world in and through Jesus and his death and resurrection. So I wanted to start off and just kick that over to you guys. In, in N.T. Wright's mind, when he talks about the person of Jesus and his death and resurrection, that's how he describes the gospel, that the one true God has now taken charge of the world in and through Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection. I just want to kick that over to you guys. What do you think about that? As you were kind of reading through this, how did that strike you? Did you resonate with that? Were you like, yep, that's it. I'm, I'm down for how N.T. Wright talks about the gospel. Or did you maybe have some hesitations about how he presented things? I had a little bit of hesitation with the way he phrased it, that particular way, taking charge. I, now, I think I understand what he's 
trying to say, but it almost leaves us this idea that God wasn't in charge before Mm -hmm. Christ came. Now, um, I get that really what he's he's saying here is that he's really talking more about the perspective of the people who are kind of in that specific time frame. Mm-hmm. And so to them, they were waiting for somebody to come and help this, that sort of exodus historical mm-hmm. event. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that context, I understand, I, I agree with what he's saying. I think in a, in a broader context, like just the gospel itself, what I define that as God coming back to take charge I wouldn't say that because it almost sort of implies that he just was letting things kind of hang out and wasn't in charge before. Now, that could also be a little bit of my perspective on theology and sovereignty sure. coming into play. But sure. that, that one that one to me was kind of like, I understand what he's saying. I don't know that I would describe it that way. I mean, I agree a little bit with that hesitancy um, on the word, you know, or the, the phrasing of, of taken charge. Um, I mean, I think... He, N.T. Wright is very much using, you know, kingdom terminology and is very trying to root this in the cultural context of the time. That's the whole purpose of the book. And certainly that idea of, you know, Jesus and his disciples are using kingdom language. And and when a, you know, the the new kingdom um, arrives, that is a, you know, it's not like, oh, the old kingdom was always here kind of operating in the background. Mm. You know, it is the new kingdom is here. Yeah. And there's no, there's not ever two kingdoms that are happening. Right. Like they're, you know, one is dominant, you know, you don't have two levels of that. And so based on that metaphor, I think it makes sense. I think when you try to, you start kind of divorcing it and maybe putting it into our 21st century perspective of, you know, trying to theologize everything and try to create kind of a, you know, theology for God's sovereignty and some of those things. Yeah, I, I, I agree with Paul 100% the metaphor breaks down but that's not really what the metaphor is designed to convey either it's not designed for that 21st century you know um systematic theology i i hadn't thought about taking issue with that language i i totally understand uh the hesitancy there and i'm wondering you know as you guys were talking i was thinking about i wonder if if nt wright was is kind of working on, yeah, kind of as you mentioned, Dan, less of like a, a purely uh, philosophical, theological level. And if he's working more along the lines of the biblical story, um, where the biblical story being God had one people, and that's where the new creation was being started. The temple uh, had imagery of Eden. The temple was kind of the place where humans could connect with God and be this kind of new creation. Um, And Israel was supposed to be God's people. They were supposed to be the first fruits of, of God's eventual blessing of the whole world. And if in Jesus, when, when N.T. Wright uses that language of taking charge, I wonder if it's not God establishing new creation then for the, the whole world, including Gentiles, so bringing Gentiles into that. So I wonder if N.T. Wright's not kind of working on like a, when it comes to the story of, of the biblical narrative, if it's not that it's a new thing that actually expands the work, the salvific work and the recreative work of God in a way that it wasn't wasn't before. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Actually, that word that you used, Eric, um, first fruits. I don't think that N.T. Wright uses that in this chapter, but that was the mm-hmm. word that I had in my head as I was reading it the yeah. whole time when he yeah. starts talking about Jesus. like, 
it's that idea of first fruits right that right. you finally have in the life and death and resurrection which i think is the important mm-hmm. thing about how anti Wright just defines the gospel right. is it's all three and you right. need all three parts of jesus right um you finally have that first fruit of what this looks like on a global humanity scale. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, Mm -hmm. here's a chosen group of people. It's, here's the guy, and this is the template for what this is going to look like for everyone. Not just for the Jews, not just for, you know, the the chosen people. Everyone is now part of this. As I was sort of processing that and thinking through it, because he says it at the beginning of the chapter and the end of the chapter, he says God was coming back to take charge. So he's trying to emphasize that point. Yeah. And and I, I totally agree in context, the people of the time, how they would have viewed good news, that kingdom language, like you said, Daniel, makes sense. A lot of the in this chapter, he talks about the the surprising way I guess the surprising power structure of the Mm. kingdom of God Mm -hmm. and that it is not a kingdom based on power in the traditional sense. Um, And that it is, is a kingdom entirely based on the idea of love, um, which is, you know, a a freely given laying down your life for someone else kind of a love. Mm -hmm. Um, He says, we have this word agape and we translate it as love, but love really doesn't get to the heart of what that word is. You know, right. really means just because right. in English that word means so many different things. Um, and so from that perspective of, you know, the one true God has now taken charge of the world, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of a full revelation of the actual mechanics of that kingdom, you know, that it's not, you know, he has done away with this idea of God just happens to be stronger than humans and therefore God mm-hmm. can overpower humans and kind of enact his kingdom by force. He is saying, nope, my kingdom is enacted by my son dying, by Mm -hmm. God's death and resurrection and that laying down of your life. Um, And so in that sense, like, it's not that God didn't love people before, but the fullness of the revelation did not happen until Jesus. Yeah. And that's why Jesus is that his life is the defining turning point in history. So in that Mm -hmm. sense. It's the, the kingdom has been more fully revealed than it ever was right. at any previous point in history, because right. we understand it's not just God shows up and then beats up the bad guys and yay, we win. Mm-hmm. It is a completely different paradigm that now right. has to be lived in and explored. Yeah, which is so different. You know, the world, the way that the world operates really is whoever has the biggest pocketbook or whoever has the best relationships or whoever has... Uh, the most influence, that's who wins. Um, and that's definitely definitely backwards from the the way that Jesus showed us, the way that Jesus showed us how to win. Yeah, because he just, he doesn't show us how to win, he shows us how to lose. And yeah. then you, then he still wins. Like it's, right. it's a, but it's a victory unlike anyone would define victory prior yeah. to that. You know, he talks about the, the, the Jewish people had an idea of martyrs. They had seen them throughout their history. None of those martyrs did anything. You know, it was like, oh, yeah, they died. They gave their life for the cause. Right. And that's just another person that we, you know, remember, we do this in honor of. It doesn't change the the power structure at all. And so, again, if that Jesus' resurrection, he's just another martyr. Yeah. And it was like, it's like through, it's like he was crushed by the very power structures um, 
that he defeated in his resurrection. And his resurrection essentially showed that those that way of wielding power is essentially useless. It's essentially powerless um, in the face of God. Yeah, and it doesn't, I like that he pointed out, it doesn't minimize the the power that that had. And it wasn't right. like, you know, Jesus really suffered. He really mm-hmm. died. It wasn't mm-hmm. just like, oh yeah, that's no big deal. It, mm-hmm. it, it was a big deal. Jesus mm-hmm. died. Right. But now that no longer carries the same weight because it did carry all of that weight in Jesus and in the cross and in his death and resurrection. He kind of alludes to this, and I don't know that he says it necessarily this way. I'm flipping, I'm flipping through the pages here, trying to find where I highlight it, but he almost essentially says it's not that it's it's almost not like Jesus beat them at their own game. It's that he was playing a completely different game. Right. Yeah, that's good. I don't like to use this word, but I'm going to use it anyway. How does how does Jesus set an example? I mean, how how does Jesus set an example for us in wielding power? What is that going to look like um, in our own lives? How we how we wield our own authority? Um, is this is it a viable option? <laughs> is is the way of Jesus actually a viable option? Um, the way that he wields power. I think if you if you look at so the, the quintessential example that people always go to for Jesus uh, in his in his service to people is washing the disciples' feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the verse that we often go to um, is, is you need to be someone that washes people's feet. In, in, even in that act of service, Jesus still exercised his authority in that situation when he says to Peter, it's John 13, um, Peter, starting verse eight, Peter said to him, um, never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. So even in Jesus's service to the disciples, his act of service, he's still exercising his authority. And I think that is an example of is our when we are wielding authority because because Christ says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations. So we do have authority. Right. Um, the question is, what are we using that authority for? Is it is it for other people? Is it to help them? Is it for their benefit, for their good, or is it ultimately for my own purpose, my own good, my own my own gratification? And you see that in the way that the world operates. Is that you know, uh, was power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, um, mm-hmm. and that it becomes a even with the best of intentions, power, and I think. I'm using power now. Maybe authority is the better word for it. Um, But in either of those, I think, instances, even with the best of intentions, if you hold on to that power and authority, you um, become something that is not good. Like you you become corrupt. You begin to use that for selfish motives. Um, Whereas I think it's 
Philippians 2, um, you know, Paul says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Mm-hmm. Um, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, um, mm-hmm. and so on. You have that I that that paradigm, which is, like you said, Paul, exemplified in the washing of the disciples' feet. And there's some other layers to what's going on there. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus is is still exercising a kind of authority in that situation, um, but he is doing it in a way that is not self-seeking. He is purposely humbling himself in the exercise of that authority, um, you know, to make it not about how can I elevate myself? How can I make myself look as good as possible? Um, you know, that it is about how can I, the, the whole idea of the incarnation is that right. I'm going to condescend to become a human, to lower myself to the level of the, the humans so that together they can be they can be raised up in the ascension with mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And if that's if that's the paradigm we have, um, you know, Paul says, I, be, I become all things to all people so that I, that by all possible means I might save some. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a it's a great thing to talk about. And it's like, oh, yeah, I can for sure see that. And then you get into the real world. Right. And you see the people that subconsciously or consciously or however I see myself as better than. Mm-hmm. It's like, do I really want to condescend to that level? Right. Or should I just kind of stay here in my circle of friends so that I look even better mm-hmm. by my choice of um, you know, people that I hang out with or how I use my, my power? Or should I give that away so that I can you know, lower myself to um and, and lower is not because again that that's a right. false notion you know yeah. that i'm better than other people but it makes me think about um galatians chapter four where you know um paul is saying to the galatians basically you know juxtaposing how they treated him before the judaizers sort of infiltrated their ranks versus how they're treating him now um, and how they were willing to look on his infirmities with grace and mercy and accept him and listen to him. Um, but now that they've sort of fallen in with the Judaizers, they are kind of hostile to him, towards him, mm-hmm. and they um, they reject his apostleship, or, or at the very least, they're questioning his apostleship. And... Um, and that that dynamic's a little bit different than what we're talking about here, but I think the same principle of legalism applies to that. In that, when we're talking about kingdom language um, and authority, uh, a, a governor or a herald is not is not acting out of their own authority. They're acting out of the mm-hmm. authority that has been given to them for a specific purpose for a specific reason to do a specific thing. And when they start to misuse that, they're not, they're not, they're not doing that out of the authority that's been giving to them. They're doing that out of the authority that has been, that they're trying to get for themselves. And that is sort of that, that legalism or that 
good advice. Hey, you need to kind of do this thing to fall in with the Judaizers. You need to kind of do this right. thing to fall in with right. the cool kids, you know, instead of yeah. the good news, which is that we are all free and all one in Christ. Yeah, I think that you guys have identified too. They're kind of, you know, if you can recall, N.T. Wright kind of gave us three categories. Is the news foolish, scandalous, or good? And for people who, you know, they think that the 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 point of life is to gain as much as you can, to wield and gather as much authority or power as you can, it's foolishness, right? It's foolishness that Jesus would come and, and sacrifice himself. It's foolishness that he would do that Philippians 2 work, that um, the Greek word is kenosis, that self-emptying, although he's equal with God, did not consider it something to be grasped. Um, that's foolishness. Um, but then there's also this, you know, like you mentioned, Paul, that there's that at the end of the day, there's still authority. It's, it's still authority that even if you are self-giving and self-sacrificing, you're still the one with authority. So it's not like authority is the bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we're not um, on one hand, we're not trying to be, um, you know, whatever uh, heartless, whatever business business people that are like just you know using using people up for their for for monetary gain but we're also not um the kind of like i don't know do you guys remember shane claiborne do you guys remember him did you ever read uh the something uh i can't even remember what his book was about but essentially he said that if we all for president or something like that yeah that that might have been it he did he did write that one he also wrote something about something revolution. Anyway, um, but essentially he would say, like, everyone should be uh, a homeless, shoeless hippie, right? Like, that's kind of his thing. If you were seriously, you know, following Jesus, you should deny material pleasures and you should go and live in a, in a homeless shelter. You know, that's it's a scandal that there is authority at all. Uh, which is which is not what we're trying to do here, right? What we're what mm-hmm. Jesus did is that he had authority, and he maintained his authority, and the way that he used his authority was to serve and love. If he actually didn't have authority, and the point of that Philippians two passage um, isn't to say that he actually relinquished godliness, it just wasn't something to be. Uh, the 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 word is like um, reached up toward, like. And the grasp maybe is is a good word for it. That like it's not something to be clung on and, and forced to. He he had he was God, and he chose to use his authority in a particular way. Um, and so what we're this news, the way that Jesus operated is foolishness. It's it's scandalous, um, but more than either of those things, it's good that we we can wield our authority, whether it's very small authority. Um, if we're just an hourly worker who pushes carts around, we still have influence and authority in that work. It can be, um, you know, it can be the president of the United States or the, the president of the United Nations. We can, if that's still authority. And although it's a greater amount of authority, you can still wield that authority in the way that Jesus did. Um, and so this news is, is, as you guys mentioned, it's kind of a spectrum of responses, and and there's a temptation for you to be legalistic in one way or the other. 
that the best thing for us is to grab as much authority as we can and being successful means God is successful and those types of things. And there's also this legalism of, well, we need to relinquish everything uh, because that's, if you're a true Christian, then you will give everything up. Um, there's temptations to go either one of those directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that Jesus doesn't do either one of those things. I think he has authority and he just uses it in a particular way. Yeah, I agree. Let's talk a little bit more about the rub of how this news, how this way of ruling, um, how our neighbors are going to see it, how our neighbors are going to, th- what our neighbors are going to think about it. Maybe we can use that foolish, scandalous, or good um, language. Um, so as we go throughout our day, how do our coworkers, you know, you, Dan, you kind of mentioned coworkers a little bit, your friends, you know, how are our coworkers and friends going to see this um, kind of authority? Um, how are they going to see Christ? working in us in these kinds of self-giving ways, how are they going to respond? What is the world going to think about this kind of thing? Of those three options, I think foolish is the first one that comes to mind. Like I'm just thinking of the people that I know in my life that I interact with on a daily basis. Um, it's like, why, why would you do that? Like that doesn't make any sense because what's in it for me? Like, if I am willingly giving away that power, if I'm choosing love instead of power, which is, you know, again, how anti right kind of phrases it, um, and I, I am choosing to value others more than I value myself and, and to make choices with them instead of what's best for me, um, like, that's foolish, because where's that going to get you? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, like you had just said, Eric, the, the idea that, well, if I amass a certain amount of resources and power for myself, that'll, that gives me a bigger platform is the word we like to use in Christian circles. Mm-hmm. Um, because if I have a platform, then I can really make a difference for the God right, or for God. I can be the next Billy Graham. I can be the next, you know, insert whatever ultra famous, you know, celebrity you want, um, Christian celebrity, um, but that, again, like, is that just for me? Am I just trying to build my kingdom or am I trying to build God's kingdom? Because mm. mm. God's kingdom is not about how many, you know, followers I have on Instagram or how many views my mm. sermons have on YouTube or anything like that. Um, you know, God's kingdom is is about the the least of these and and the love that you know, you can show and what show actually showing that love. Um, so I think that that's the first reaction that I, I, I see that I experience in the people that I know is like, why would you do that? Like that makes no sense. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I agree with Daniel. I think, um, you know, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, and, uh, we are, we, we live in a nation where we celebrate pride week, right? Take pride in, in your sexual identity, uh, have pride in your country or have pride is not really on a cultural scale considered a sin mm-hmm. in, in our culture. Mm-hmm. And um, I think to say that 
you need to abandon your pride and be humbled would sound foolish to a a great Mm -hmm. number of people. And I think that that happens, you know, um, uh, all over the place. I know specifically for my area of the country, I heard this quote, um, I thought was really good, uh, a couple, uh, last week, maybe many Americans know more about their right to own a gun than they do about what it means to worship God. Mm. Mm. So, uh, uh, because, you know, I make arguments similar to that, maybe from another perspective or another side of the of the aisle in our in our country. But I, I live in a prominently red area, so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. doesn't matter a whole lot. But that whole idea of that abandoning pride um, yeah. and, and worshiping God rather than myself um, mm-hmm. or my country or whatever it is, I think would be considered foolish yeah you know i think that um i think that you're right i think it would primarily be i think it could primarily be considered foolish in our world um honestly you know it's not like it's not like in india or in a muslim country where your family that would be scandalous right because your family is going to disown you right right it's going to be a scandal in the family i could switch from from catholic to episcopalian to to agnostic, the lazy man's atheist, right? <laughs> and and it, unless I'm in, you know, that as I say, I couldn't because I have family members that would that might be scandalous to them. But the I think the average right. American could switch from any one of those right. things, and nobody would think twice about it. Right. Okay. Right. Whatever. Yeah. Where in yeah. other places you are giving up your family, you're giving family. up your community. That's scandalous. Yeah, I think it'd be. I think it would be primarily foolish um, to our neighbors, just because it's like. I think, especially in, in, you know, maybe we can use the climate that that we're in now. The last last four or five years, and and beyond, but like I think I think the last four or five years, it's been heightened. Is um, there's this significant divide um, politically. And when you watch the kind of rhetoric that comes out of politics, it is amazing how both sides, right? I'm going to, I, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Both sides are going to, are going to give up their values to beat the other person, right? Like that's, and that's how everything's phrased. That's how everything is framed. Um, when it was the 2016 election, um, the the conversation from the right was um, all about beating the other guy. The conversation from the left was all about beating the other guy. Who has the best chance to win against this person, that person? And then these elections rolled around. And from the left, the whole conversation is, well, who's the person that can beat the guy in the White House? That's all that they. That's all that's been talked about. That's been the conversation. Has been a power structure kind of conversation. How can we? How can we gain power against the other person, the other party, the other group? Um, and I think that, and that's that seeps down into our neighbors. Like our, that's how our neighbors think about uh, people who don't have their political opinions. Um, and so I think, I think if the church were a place that people who have 
legitimate disagreements can still sacrifice for each other and care for each other. I mean, I think that's part of the witness. I think that that's a, that's a distinctive that the church would have, that we don't see that anywhere else in, in um, our country where it's so, you know, that's, that's all, that's how we filter all of it, everything mm-hmm. right now is through power and, and politics specifically. Um, and we don't, I don't think that people have a category uh, for genuine self-giving, self-giving love, uh, for genuine self-sacrificing love, for genuine humility. Um, I think that it's 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 self-sacrificing the way that I describe self-sacrificing. I think is usually how that that ends up to be. And you know, I I, I think so. Confession time, I, and Eric, you know this. Um, I maybe three years ago was that belligerent Mm. person on Facebook, Mm. you know, that was like, you're not a Christian if you don't X, Y, Z politically. Mm. And, um, and, and that's really embarrassing for me. Like I, Mm. I I gave up Facebook this year. And part of the reason I did that was because I got tired of seeing how ignorant Because Facebook reminds you of that. You know, it's like, hey, do you remember three years ago, you were a real dolt. And four (laughs) years ago, you were adult. And five years ago, you were adult. (laughs) Um, That's part of the reason why I gave it a police. But um, I think that as the gospel, I think, has taken root in my life as good news, not good advice. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I would have phrased it that way until reading right. the first few chapters of this book, right. but it really makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then reading chapter three, it's kind of like a, I'm not necessarily interested in that because I'm not playing that game. I, and, right. you know, I'm not even on the same, not even the same board game. You know what right. I mean? Right. The purpose, mm-hmm. the goal is completely different. Right. And, it, and I don't really... Maybe I care to some extent, but by and large, I don't really care who who's in charge because whoever it is in charge really isn't in charge. Right. That's right. You know what I mean? And yeah. and, and I'm serving a king, a king who is he, he's he's going to make it work out one way or the other. You know, right. whether we have a wall or whether we don't, mm-hmm. uh, whether we you know, we have universal health care or we don't. God's going to make it work out. And right. and I what am I doing? It's, it's really easy to to focus on what's happening in Washington or in your state capital um, and focus on that and think this is really going to change and impact things. Mm-hmm. And something that my wife likes to say a lot is she's like, you know, my life is no different today yeah. than it was six years ago. Right. Except that we now have kids. Five kids. <laughs> but no, none of those changes had anything like right. the president had nothing to do with that. <laughs> right. yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, I can impact my neighbor. Right. I can right. I can show them the love of Christ, mm-hmm. and I can show my kids the love of Christ, uh, and and the president or. Speaker of the House or Governor doesn't have anything to do with that. Right. Yeah, and it's it's those cumulative small impacts right. that add up to you know like I had said previously about the having a larger <laughs> platform or you know the opportunity. 
it's really those small things that add up to that over a lifetime of faithfulness and of of living that kind of self-giving love of the gospel mm-hmm. that over time that spreads you know far beyond what we would deem as you know a a successful you know mega church ministry or something like that because it is you know i think to go back to the question of how do the people around us view this is it foolish yeah. scandalous or good i think we're really doing our job as christians and living the kind of life that Jesus, you know, modeled for us to live, people look at that and say, oh, that is good. There is something attractive about that. Um, I don't only, I don't understand it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but there is something about that that speaks to me, Um, which was kind of one of the points he made in the last chapter of, uh, in chapter two, was like, yeah, there's something that kind of draws you in or calls out to you from the gospel because it is good news there's something about it that makes sense of the world even if it itself does not make sense yeah that's really good and and i think that paul what you identified um there's a kind of in order to be belligerent um which is the word that you use which which you know that i was i was the same way uh maybe maybe on the other side uh of many of the issues um but when when there's that much energy, negative energy, spent on the realm of ideas, I find that most of the time that comes from a place of insecurity and self-justification, mm. where it's like, I need everyone to make sure that they know that I'm about X, Y, and Z. Because if I'm about X, Y, and Z, then that means that I'm safe, right? That becomes like a self-justification. That's a, yeah. that's a, that's a ladder that we set up to get to heaven. That I, that you have to believe these things, or you have to vote this way, or you have to have these opinions, and I need everyone to make sure that I know that, that I know these opinions, and that they have those opinions too, because it's a ladder that I've built to get up to heaven. Um, and it's usually from a place of insecurity that that has that that draws from. Uh, but I think that you're exactly right, um, Paul. Is that once you once you realize how God operates in the world, um, once you realize that the spirit has grabbed a hold of you and you have security in him and you have assurance in him, then the change, like everything changes. Like you no longer have to, you, you know, you can just be like, Oh, I don't really care what they think about me. I don't really care what they, what they believe or what they say. I'm, I'm going to serve them anyway. I'm going to, I'm going to spread, I want to sow the seed. And the spirit's going to do what what he wills. The spirit's going to do what he wants. Um, and it doesn't matter in the realm of ideas um, who seems to be right and who seems to be wrong, uh, because I know what's right. I know what's I know what the truth is. Um, and you can walk in a in the freedom is the other word they used. Um, you can walk in a freedom that you didn't that you don't have before. Um, it really, man, it really changes things. Um, once you're operating in that in that freedom, which Dan is kind of what you were talking about too, is with when I when I'm unshackled from my own expectations about success, when I'm unshackled from my own expectations or other people's expectations, um, then there's a freedom which is attractive to to some people, right? Some sometimes the seed falls on paths and sometimes it falls on good soil. Um, but for those of for those who uh, hear the word and respond, it's it is good news. And so I think that any you know, whenever we 
whenever we talk about this and we spread the good news with our words and our actions, I think that we can expect all three kinds of reactions, that there will be people who think it's foolish, there will be people who think it's scandalous, and there will be people who think it's good. Um, and we can't really control <laughs> what, how they respond um, and how they think about what they think about the good news. I think one thing I'm interested to see how he develops later on in the book, um, and this is more curiosity um, than anything else, but he, he's a couple of times now put a great deal of emphasis on the actual historical event yes. of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and this could, this could be my, Maybe a little bit of uh, Westminster coming out, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, but uh, it brings up a question of epistemology mm-hmm. in that, do I believe the resurrection is true because God's word says so? Or do oh. I believe that God's word is true because historically I can prove the resurrection? Right. Um, so do you have an evidential epistemology or a revelational epistemology um of course epistemology is the theory of knowledge or how do you know what you know right Right. um and i'm curious to see what he does with that that specific Mm -hmm. piece how does he tie that actual historical event into to the overall view of the gospel yeah yeah i don't know like i said i haven't I'm reading with you guys. I haven't read ahead. So I'm also curious because I'm I've been listening. There's a group of Lutherans that are very, uh, some, sometimes they're called radical Lutherans. And they, they have a very particular way of understanding the world and how God operates in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's within, it's embedded in the Lutheran tradition. Um, but they kind of take it to, to a, a radical, to the root. Like they, they're kind of follow this one stream of thinking. Um, all the way back to uh, God, and and they talk a lot about the evidential epistemology that we trust the scriptures because Jesus trusted the scriptures, and He was the guy who pulled off His own resurrection. You know, said He was going to be resurrected and pulled it off. Um, so yeah, so I, I would be interested in hearing um, if N.T. Wright kind of uh, delves into that at all um, and how he deals how he deals with that. I really like liked this chapter because like i said i think he's starting to dig into a little bit more of the meat um like he spent a lot of time establishing the the theme um and now he's kind of getting into the the ramifications like what does this actually mean which for me is you know intriguing because i am someone who really likes to think about ideas and then sometimes struggles to put those ideas into practice because the idea is more fun if it just lives in my head and i can think about it um, right. So I'm interesting to see, you know, what are the the practical applications that he draws from this beyond just the theoretical? Yeah, it matters. So I'm excited to continue this discussion. Yeah, I know. I think just based on the titles of the next couple chapters, I think that we're gonna have a lot to talk about because N.T. writes a little bit of a he's polarizing um, in in the biblical studies and theology world uh, because he's part of this i I don't know if he would even say he's part of this movement but he's kind of part of this group uh that studies what's called the new perspective of paul um and some 
individuals in this group, not in T right, uh, but some individuals in this group like reject penal substitutionary atonement, like reject the idea that Jesus uh, vicariously took on uh, the punishment for our sins, which you heard a little bit in this chapter, right? And Sirach kind of hinted at that. He said, uh, he was careful to say that it was penal and it was substitutionary. So he was careful not to like go all the way that direction, but he kind of hinted at it. And I think over the next couple chapters, um, that'll play out a little bit more. So I think we'll have some good conversations about um, about how God saves. Um, that'll be kind of fun, I think, over the next couple chapters. So that's one thing that I'm looking forward to. Just looking at the titles, um, I suspect that's where it's going. So I really liked this chapter um, because I think that this is really good to dwell on, um, how Jesus ruled and how he operated in the world. Um, and so I'm excited to, to move forward. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you. I enjoyed it. Uh, and thank you guys for listening in. Stay safe. We love you guys and have a great week. <laughs>